0: Hi folks, this is Jack Spear, good with another edition of Survival Podcast. It's always one man's view, the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Times get tougher even if they don't. Today is uh, October twenty second, 2013. This is episode 1232 of the Survival Podcast. And since we did a listener call show to get caught up on some calls yesterday, I moved a listener feedback show here till Monday. So we will have a listener feedback show today. These are your calls, questions, comments, videos, anything you want to email me. For inclusion on a show, you email that to jack at com. When you do that, put link for Jack, video for Jack, comment for Jack, question for Jack, article for Jack, what have you in the subject line, one word followed by for Jack, That'll get into the special queue where I where I send these things so that I can go through them every week and choose stuff out of them. And some weeks I do random assemblies, some weeks uh end up themed. Today, uh all but the last two stories are themed and they're themed under Jack Was Right Again. Damn it. I mean that's that's really how I feel about this. Is like this onslaught of things occurring right now that I've been talking about for years that are coming to full fruition right now. Um that are inarguable. You can't argue with the fact that I said they were coming. You can't argue with the fact that people are like, no, and you can't argue with the fact now they've happened. Um, I mean, absolutely concrete, 100% have occurred, not are occurring, not are about to occur, like are actively occurring right now or have been either that or have been fully realized. And uh, so I get no great pleasure in doing shows like this, but I think it's important that we go through and we we examine this, including the times where I'm like, yeah, I was wrong about that because that happens too. Before I do that, though, let's go ahead and uh, take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today is Sawtooth Tactical. Sawtooth Tactical has all the things you need to live that tactical lifestyle from Magpul Magazines and Maxpedition Bags and everything else in between, including the awesome, manly, cool, very, very cool titanium spork. Yeah, the titanium spork. I'm going to actually have to buy one now. Um, Jeff actually gave me one uh, a long time ago. He gave me a couple to give away, and he gave me an extra one to keep. And uh, I traded it at our barter blanket at our uh, event that we just had, our seminar that we just had. We did barter blanket two nights out of the event, and uh, I traded the spork mainly because I thought somebody would really get a kick out of having it. And I don't even remember who got it. I don't even remember what I got for it, but I know now there's a hole in my heart where the spork used to be, and I'll have to replace it. So check out... Sawtooth Tactical for everything from like cool kind of novelty things like the titanium super spork, uh, to, you know, everyday run of the mill hardcore tactical items. If you can think of it, they've got it veteran owned, veteran operated, nestled in the sawtooth wilderness of Idaho. That's why it's called Sawtooth Tactical. And if you are an MSB member, they do give you a discount, so check before you buy in your benefits section. Next up today knifekits.com. Knifekits.com is a great sponsor. Been with us a long time. Over three years, maybe going on four. Um, awesome stuff. You want to make knives? Go to Knife Kits. You know what you're doing? Go to Knife Kits. You have no idea what you're doing, but you want to get started? Go to Knife Kits. Everything from kind of final fit and finish stuff that you can buy, all the blade shaping's done. You put handles on it, some bolsters, shine it up, sharpen it, to you want raw materials because you're a master bladesmith. If you don't know what you're doing, call them. They'll help you out. You want to make Kydex? Check it out. They got Kydex stuff. And, hey, you want a discount? MSB members, you get a discount of 5%. Um, As we're segueing to MSB. I want to tell you about a new policy I just released. I'm really trying to make MSB be more than just discounts. And There's always been something to that, but I'm trying to make it more and more. So Every week now, we do a weekend review. These are insider videos. These are like me walking around the homestead. Sometimes I'm cooking. Sometimes I'm having a beer. Sometimes I'm ha- hanging with the geese. Uh, this time, it was a review of the event we just had and we laid out the plan for the next event, which is going to be an Earthworks workshop we're doing in November. Um, putting in a couple swales and some other things, tying them into the urban garden so we 're going to have a really cool thing with like this zone one urban permaculture that actually has swales that tie straight into a zone four food forest it 's going to be awesome, um, and so those kind of videos are now, but another thing we 're doing. We're now doing this. For those that want to come to these events, instead of doing where I, um, I get an email from you and I put you on a waiting list, and when we finally get around to doing it, I email you the order that I got and give people, like, no more waiting lists. I'm just going to put up a page like anybody else does. Here's the seminar. Here's what we're doing. Here's how you make your deposit. Here's everything you need to know. Sign up. Uh, but when I do that from now on, for at least a week, uh, this time it'll probably be a week, in the future probably two weeks, MSB members get first crack at all events. So I'm trying to do anything I can to build value into the MSB. Join that. You'll support the show at 18.3 cents an episode. Military, Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, first responders like firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics, all you guys qualify for a discount. Send me a, uh, an email with service discount in the subject line and one or two sentences telling me who you are and what you're doing or what you did of your prior service. Just send that email to Jack at the thesurvivalpodcast.com. Again, please, if you're asking for that discount code, put just two words in the subject line and nothing else, service discount. I dig stuff out every week that goes into spam because people don't do that. Um, and sometimes I find it in spam, and I don't miss it because you followed the rules and somehow it ended up there anyway, and I'm able to find it a lot easier. Uh, so if you've ever sent me an email about that and not gotten it back, spam monster is probably why. Anyway, with that wrapped up, let's go ahead and get into uh, to your questions, comments, and emails. And as I said, the majority of this show is uh, Jack is right day, and I say that with a sigh. You know, I I am not one of these people in media that's like every other day. See, I told you. See, I told you. Most of those guys, frankly, they pr- they predict so many things from from obvious to like like you know hail mary passes that they just cherry pick then what, what they get right. I actually don't make a lot of predictions. You know, I make a handful of predictions. Um, but here's stuff that I've been talking about over the last months and years. One that would be a recent one that as soon as the debt ceiling was raised, we would immediately have a huge jump in our debt, maybe larger than ever before. Uh, for about four years, I've been saying China will soon be the largest importer of oil. And that we will no longer be the great drain on society's resources and a disproportionate user of oil. That China, as a rising economy, will become the number one importer in oil. Uh, that we are moving toward a day when they will tax our mileage rather than our gas or our mileage and our gas. And they will say they're not snooping, but they'll use it as an excuse to track us because to tax our mileage, they'll have to track us. Uh, that 401k investors are being forced into U.S. Treasury bonds as their safe haven cash funds are removed. And that's being done specifically to shore up the debt. It's a quiet backdoor movement of your money. Uh, that capital controls will come. Um, that when cities go and counties go bankrupt, they'll simply take more money. Right? Does anybody that listens to this show and has listened to this show... There, there's probably no one out there that would say, yeah, that's that there's anything there that I haven't said and said more than once. Um, we're about to go over six emails that confirm each and every single one of those. Um, I could almost leave it alone. I could almost just say that's it and go on, but there's new people that come into this show. And... You listen to this redneck from Texas. You know, it's it's actually a redneck from Pennsylvania and Texas. You know, grew up as a coal miner's son in in the Appalachian Mountains of Pennsylvania, um, and no degree in economics, no degree in psychology, or no masters in you know uh, finance or anything like that. Um, Guy that's been successful in business, but that doesn't mean anything. Plenty of people have been successful in business and can't analyze the economy. Who's telling you to get ready? for major shifts major economic shifts and it's easy to then say this guy, you know when you start to hear things that make you uncomfortable this guy is just a nut job or this guy's not right about this or yeah the other things are true but um i i it's so one of those things man i don't want to be right about any of this not not a single thing the first one we're going to cover was actually really easy i mean all you had to do was like do math uh and that is that our debt would jump uh, massively the first day that the government raised the debt ceiling and, and approved the budget because the government's been spending money that we don't have and, and not the way that normally we spend money we don't have. I mean, money we actually don't have. Like, we can't just borrow it because we can't borrow more money because we hit the debt ceiling um, or we're about to and we can't go over without congressional approval and there's no budgetary approval. So, uh, you know, government shut down and all this and, and still spending money. And what they've been doing is raiding the pension funds of government workers. That's what they've been doing. That's how. See, the the debt stayed static for over a hundred days. The debt didn't go up. The national debt stayed static, and I I said it was an illusion. It was created through interdepartmental loan, and again, that's stealing the retirement savings put aside for the workers so guy that works at you know department of interior right he's got a pension a government pension and in that, and that pension is paper only anyway but they use the paper in the pension to to write an i to, to write an iou against to move money inside the government to do things it was never intended to do if a private company did this and got caught uh it's it's federal prison time it's a misappropriation of funds. It's, you know, uh it's a commingling of funds. Your money put into your pension fund that's already at risk in a myriad of ways is now simply taken out and put in a different bucket and used to do things like, I don't know, pay your buddy's salary sitting next to you or pay the electric bill for a government building in Texas when you're sitting in Virginia working for a Department of Interior. That's what they've been doing. So once you know that, and once you know these people will always raise the debt ceiling, nobody's really going to shut the government down this way. They don't have the intestinal fortitude. And I have a, a video from 2011 when this happened last time where I explained it all. I didn't bother to do it this time again. So what happened to the debt the day that this whole theatrical escapade ended. Well, from here on out, until I tell you otherwise, I'm reading from the Washington Slimes. Oh, I mean the Washington Times. U.S. debt jumps a record $328 billion, top $17 trillion for the first time. U.S. debt jumped more than $300 billion on Thursday, the first day of the federal government was able to borrow money under the deal, President Obama and Congress sealed last week. You know what deal they sealed? Back to business as usual. There was no deal last week. Uh, That's a lie. There's no deal. There was no deal. It was just like, we're done now. Let's go back to pretending we hate each other. Right? This was... Guys, this is not in the Washington Times. I'm telling you. Last week, for those of you that are children of the 80s, what you watched was Macho Man Savage and Hulk Hogan wrestling. And then... Uh, down the road, they shook hands and became buddies again. All right, that's what you just watched. Back to the Slimes article, I mean Times article. Uh, debt now equals $17.05 trillion, according to figures posted online by the Treasury Department on Friday. The $328 billion increase is an all-time record, shattering the high of $238 billion set two years ago. Gee, how does Jack know this stuff? Do you know what $238 billion set two years ago was? The last time they did this. This is what they, see, they do the same thing every time. You think, well, at least they're not spending money while they're shut down. They're spending money while they're shut down. Lots of it. You know, they stopped paying people to let people in the national parks and they paid people to keep them out. They didn't save any money. It was all theatrics, guys. Hogan and Macho Man. I'd say new people, but I don't follow wrestling, you know, because I'm not like eight anymore. All right. Um, but yeah, okay. Um, The giant jump uh, comes because the government was replenishing its stock of extraordinary measures. The federal funds it borrowed over the past five months as it tried to avoid bumping the debt ceiling. See how they just don't tell you where they got the money from? They borrowed money to avoid raising the debt. How do you borrow money without increasing debt? You can't. So they did, but they didn't because it wasn't debt Outside the country, it was public, it was intergovernmental debt. It was your, if you work for the government, it was your money, your pension. If you work for the military and you're banging on your military retirement, they were using your money. They put it back. It's a Ponzi scheme, guys. In this case, the Treasury Department borrowed $400 billion from other funds beginning in May, awaiting a final deal from Congress and Mr. Obama. Usually Congress sets a borrowing limit or debt ceiling that caps the total amount of government can be set in the red. But under the terms of this week's deal, Congress set a deadline instead of a dollar cap. This means the debt can rise as much as Mr. Obama and Congress want it to until the February 7th deadline. Do you get it? Do you get what they just did? They've set up. They, they can now, they, the, the Republicans who told you they were, were holding the line. We're holding the line. We're going to use this. Just said, we can spend as much money as we want until February 7th. Now, what I would think they would do is spend a shitload of money that's not appropriated. And what do I mean by that? They'll let the Treasury now go crazy printing money by selling bonds. And they'll stockpile the money... So that it can carry them through the next argument while they tell you they have no money. So there's my next prediction. The United States federal government is about to spend money that will make a drunk sailor feel sick to see it go so fast. They're going to put it into some kind of a place where they claim it's gone and it's not. They're going to do this again in February and start whining that we'll default on our bills. And it's a tragedy and whatever. While they take more liberty and do more to convince you there's a... This is the last act of desperate tyrants. Do you know why they're doing this? To convince you there really is a difference. And the Republican Party... And I'm not a huge fan of Ted Cruz, but I do believe that he believes in what he's doing... I believe people like him and Rand Paul really are trying within this system, which is what they can't see is it's a dying system. And and the Republican Party has sullied the name of Senator Cruz in this. When you have the majority leader, the, the, the House majority leader, coming out and saying, we lost and got nothing, which is what happened. Which is what happened. So basically you have the majority leader of the House saying, we caused this and we got nothing out of it. So we were wrong. We are screwed. We tried, but we failed. And of course, is he going to take the heat over it? No. The people that stood are not liked by their own establishment party members. Rand Paul and, and Ted Cruz are not liked by the heads of the Republican Party. They do not want them there. I'm not saying they're saviors, or they're going to fix anything, but I am telling you they're fighting, they are fighting their own party. It's legitimate that's the case. Doesn't mean I agree with everything both of them want to do, but they are. So this whole WWF or whatever they call wrestling now, theatrics has just played out. And, uh, and, and it was calculated by both sides. Everybody knew what was going to happen before they went in. And now they have a deal to spend money they don't have like crazy until February 7th a spending spree and this, that means that right now the Federal Reserve can decide to do it for them. The Federal Reserve just got free reign to monetize the debt whether the money's appropriated or not. now this requires a little bit of an understanding so I'll give you the short condensed version of what's what's going to happen now and I'm not even sure exactly how they'll do it but the Federal Reserve can buy US government bonds. And in doing so, create more money and expand the monetary supply. They can then, you know, loan that money back to the government. So, what that means is that the Treasury Department will be able to sell as much bonds as it wants with no oversight or authority by anyone to stop it until the 7th. In other words, the debt can be run up. Well, the debt can be run up into a bucket you got it? This is really important to understand. The Fed will monetize debt and put it back inside the Treasury. So instead of monetizing debt and putting the money into circulation, this time it will monetize debt into the Treasury. It will it will buy the shit out of debt with nothing from the Treasury. It will then have the money. It will then force it into the governmental system of, of, of loops and holes and put it into blobs within the budget Little slush funds that can be drawn from to keep funding their tyranny. And the money will be in there. And by February, we'll be doing this monkey dance again. But anyway, I said the debt would just explode the day that this ended. And it just went up more than it ever did at any time in history. Never one of those, gee, I was right, but don't want to be. So moving on, the next thing I said I would tell you about today is that we are no longer the world's largest user of oil. And you might think, well, maybe that's a good thing. In in some ways, it might be. If we were not the world's largest user of oil because um, of some of the things said in this article being the main driver and cause, it, it might not be that bad. Like if it was just that we really have gotten good with efficiency and we really are doing things more green and we really are less resource intensive and and, and, and that would be okay. But that's not the case. Um, nothing we're doing in that world is sufficient to, uh, to explain this. There's only two things that explain what I'm about to tell you. One, we're still in a recession, and we're not using as much because people don't have as much money. That's number one. So that hasn't stopped, but it's severely curtailed uh, the conventional growth curve of U.S. oil consumption. It's not trying to be green. It's not saving polar bears. It's not even creeping carbon taxation, because while there is no official carbon tax, there's a lot of carbon taxation, uh, that's creeping in because they can't get it done with a fail swoop. So how does government? Okay, here's another lesson today, guys. While government is claiming to try to do something wholesale and can't get it done, that's so you'll pay attention to that wholesale effort. While otherwise they are doing it incrementally in other ways. All right. So they. So even that, but it's not the cost of the fuel. It's the expense of the fuel versus the income of the people. Downward class migration. Anyway, let me read you some of the article and then we'll analyze it a little further together. Last month, the world witnessed, and this is on Zero Hedge, by the way, and the article comes in from Karim. Karim says, or uh, the article says, last month, the world witnessed a paradigm shift. China surpassed the United States as the world's largest consumer of foreign oil, importing 6.3 million barrels a day, compared to the United States' 6.24 million. This trend is likely to continue as this gap is likely to grow. According to EIA's October short-term energy outlook, Woods McKenzie, a leading global energy consultancy, echoed this prediction, estimating Chinese oil imports will rise to 9.2 million barrels a day, 70% of the total demand by 2020. Okay, 2020 is another interesting date. 2020 is the date whereby I have said that I believe China will become, or shortly before or thereafter, right around 2019, 2021, China is going to become the largest economy in the world by that date. So they're also going to be using 9.2 million barrels a day of oil. So our day in the economic sun is coming to a pass. That's what this is saying. This trend has been driven by a combination of factors, booming oil, American oil production. In other words, we're making, we're putting more oil out now than ever. While it's costing us more than it, than it really has. Why? Why? Why is it the case that we're producing more oil today than we were in the mid nineties when we were also in a recession? And and a gallon of gas back then was a buck and a half or less. Now we're producing more. We're selling it all over the world, and it's still expensive. You know, it's still up around three bucks plus a gallon. Why? Because your money's been eroded. Remember last week I talked about what happened to U.S. wages over the years in relation to an ounce of gold. And you see it in places where the market cannot be lied about. Food and energy and metal. Right? Commodities. These are the places where the market cannot be lied to. And the market is telling the truth, so we're paying more for cheaper oil. But the rest of the world still thinks it's super cheap. Let me go back to the article a second. In China, however, continued economic growth has brought with it a growing middle class, eager to take to the road. While the automobile market has cooled off earlier this year, September saw sales rise by 21% a trend that is putting increasing strain on Chinese infrastructure and air quality in addition to oil demand. Some of the world's largest traffic jams are now commonplace in major Chinese cities, and air quality issues have pushed authorities to pursue synthetic natural gas technology to offset the need for coal-fired electricity. Increasing oil consumption will only exasperate these issues. Furthermore, the per capita consumption differential between two countries is still vast. The average Chinese citizen consumes 2.9 2. barrels of oil per year compared to an average American consuming 21.5. This indicates that China's growing thirst for oil isn't going to slow down anytime soon. So you can read the rest of the article if you want to. I'll put a note to this article and all others in today's show notes. Um, let me tell you what this means. This means that China is now beginning to draw comparative to its population and its economic success. And the delta between where it is doing so today and where we've been doing so for 50 years is massive, leaving a tremendous amount of headroom. This is also going to – I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in China. Construction's already going gangbusters there. It's going to go double or triple in volume over the next 10, 10 years. China is going to have to start developing areas. That's the only way it can reduce... It has a billion point seven people. One point seven billion. The only way China can reduce congestion isn't by improving the infrastructure of its cities. It is going to be by building more cities. China will be building major metropolitan cities inside its borders and around the world and exporting its population over the next 10 years. And they need energy to get it done. And they're going to, I want you to think about this. Right now, our country is consuming about 6.2 million barrels a day of oil. And you know how much waste we have. China, by comparison, is being pretty efficient. But within the next five years, six years, they're going to be consuming 9.2 million barrels a day. And what is this going to do to oil supply and demand? And what's it going to do to our cost? Your major corporations in this country are right now setting up shell operations. Not shell, shell. Like a shell corporation, right? A hollow a hollow being that exists just solely to protect the corporation's assets. In China, Smithfield Pork was the first big one we found out about. Goldman Sachs now owns Smithfield Pork through a Chinese Shell corporation run by the former son of a Chinese prime minister. I covered that before. If you don't believe it, look it up. Right, I just say that. They're going to do this with oil. They're going to do this with oil. Shell, the major player in the African market now, will move major operations into Africa under Chinese protection, legal financial protection, and collusion. And you're watching the wealth of your nation not only be extracted, but exported right now. And the writing is on the wall. The economic future of the world is in Asia. And China is the big dog in that future. And there's major cooperation going on with Russia and India in doing so. And this is not so much a military move but a financial one. The new world of warfare is one of financial control of the populace. And there it is. And a lot of these things that they're telling you in alternative media today, they're going to come take you away or whatever, they're not going to come take you away. They're extracting your wealth and taking it to China. And they're going to leave you here to be their little bitch slave while they count money under the protection of a foreign passport. And when there are riots, the people that cause them won't be here, so their violence will be expended on each other and will be used as an excuse for yet greater taking of liberties to protect us from supposedly ourselves, while the predators sit my ties in Singapore. And if you think it's a jump to get from where we're at with China becoming the largest importer of oil to there, just remember, I told you this would happen years ago. It's, it ha- for, for the second part to happen, this first part must occur. The development must be there within the Chinese economy so that there's a base of operations to move the financial future of the world to. It's not here anymore. But the people that run it here aren't giving it away or losing it. They're taking it with them on the way out the door. Now we're moving on to the mileage tax, something that I said would be coming. It would be used as an excuse to track us. And the entire time they were doing it, they would tell us, don't worry about being tracked. We're going to take care of your privacy concerns. But that it was a fictitious belief that that could be the case. Look, if I'm going to tax you by the mile, I have to measure the mileage you drive. The way I do that is by tracking where your vehicle goes. If I track where your vehicle goes, I have data that tells me where your vehicle goes. Once I have that data, I'm not going to get rid of it. Um, there's a constant in the universe. Once information is created, it exists forever. Okay? And that that's kind of a, a, a physics-level thing, that information never goes away. But government has taken it and made it concrete because government doesn't delete files. Now, you're supposed to believe they will. We'll just use this to bill you and it's, that's all it is. Don't worry about it. And I'll tell you how it's going to be done in a second. (laughs) But to believe that, that, you know, the same government that's been, you know, tapping your phone since 1987, when by the way, those of you who think this is all about Barack Obama, Ronald Reagan was president. Hello, Ronald. Reagan was president in 1987 when the AT&T phone snooping thing started that I covered last week. This is not about Obama. It's about all of them. And then they're going to start tracing where you drive and taxing you by the mile. But don't worry about your privacy concerns. We have no interest in that. If you're that stupid, and much of our population has become that stupid, you deserve the nation you're getting. For the rest of us, for now, as I said yesterday, while people have their heads up their asses, all we can do is be aware so that we can prepare. That's it. That's the only thing we can do. That's the only thing we can do. We have to be aware of what's going on how they're acting, so we can try to figure out a sort of kind of a picture of what it's going to look like in the other side so that we can be prepared for it and we can adapt to it faster than the people around us. It's not about, hey, what do I short so I can make some money? It's short-term thinking, and if the currency is devalued, you lose on that play anyway. It's about this. When massive shifts occur, the most prosperous people are those who adapt most quickly. And, and exactly what to do now isn't the thing. The thing to do is watch it all unfold and adapt as it goes. And you say, how does that get you ahead? The fact that you know it's happening is what gets you ahead. The adaptation is ongoing. Adaptation by its nature must be ongoing. But just go into what's happening here. Oregon is moving ahead with a controversial plan to tax motors based on the number of miles they drive opposed to the amount of fuel they consume, raising a myriad of concerns about cost and privacy. The program, springing out of a recently signed bill, is expected to launch in 2015 on a volunteer basis. Hey, do you know the first income tax in this country was voluntary? Just saying. But it's clearly charting relatively new territory, and other states aching for additional tax revenue are sure to watch closely to see whether to imitate the model. The problem for lawmakers is the existing per-gallon mileage tax has hit a point of diminishing returns. As Americans drive less and vehicles become more fuel efficient, which I've told you before they never really wanted. They just said they did, right? The Federal Highway Trust Fund, which gives money to states for highway construction and repairs, for example, has needed a congressional bailout four times since 2009. Did you know that? All talk of bailouts. The Federal Highway Trust Fund has been bailed out four times since 2009. Let me try something. 9-1-1. 10, 2, 11, 3, 12, 4, 13, 5. In five years, four bailouts. 13's not over yet, by the way. And they just gave themselves a blank check until February. Where might some of that money go? Hmm. You see how it's all connected? You see how simple the connections are? Stop here for a second before I continue. The reason they must tax mileage is... Reduced consumption of gasoline due to fuel efficiency and a repressed economy which is what allows China to take over its largest sea all the pieces fit together and guys I didn't go gather this this was all sent to me this week by listeners every single article okay here we go Um In part, uh, the result of no federal gas increase for the past 20 years. See, the problem is just we haven't increased taxes, right? However, economists and civil libertarians are concerned about the Oregon pilot project in large part because some mileage meters can track and record residents every vehicle or move. Some? Some can? Come on. Rick Geddes, a Cornell University professor, said the basic device is okay because it's simply attached to the vehicle computer, which cannot track locations. It's just like using electricity, he told FoxNews.com. However, Ged said privacy concerns can resurface your government, expand the program, and use smartphone or apps to track movements and reward motorists to avoid congested roads and drive during off-peak hours. Do you know what the whole damn purpose of this program is? To funnel your travel and control your times so that they can reduce congestion and fossil fuel use by making it better for you to drive in certain places at certain times. Of course they're going to do that. Oh, no, they won't. You also said they wouldn't do this, right? Okay, Mark Perry, a University of Michigan scholar, says the GPS or black box system is particularly untenable. Well, the new vehicles already have a black box. So if all the new tracker does is tie into your vehicle's existing system, you know what we should do? People get lost every year. They do. They get lost every year. They're stuck somewhere and we can't find them. What if we mandated that all new vehicles have a GPS device? And if that was the case, when somebody was missing, we could find them. Really? I mean, do I have to connect all the dots? I guess so. It would force us to surrender our privacy, Perry, a scholar at the conservative think tank of American Enterprise Institute, recently wrote in a column for McClatchy Newspapers. Each day, more and more of us are required to tell government agencies more and more about ourselves. Do we really want the government collecting data about our driving habits? They already are. You know what a smart pass is? Easy pass? Pay and go? They're called all different things. Little RFID chip. When you drive on toll roads, it just says, you started here, you stopped there, and it charges your account. Do you think they throw that data away? Don't you think that's attached to you? This is what's going to happen everywhere. Every road will be a toll road with different times and charges based on your speed and where you go. You know, in England right now, you get speeding tickets in the mail. Do you think they even need the GPS to do this? All they need are cameras. They have cameras that can immediately pick up on your license plate now and track you that way. It's all theatrics. Let me just put it to you this way. You can read the rest of the article if you want to. Oregon is going forward with a program to tax people by the mileage on a voluntary basis as a pilot program to prove the, the program is viable. What do you think's next? It works so wonderfully well that our citizens loved it so much that so many of them voluntarily uh, participated. We're using it as our new source of revenue for gas tax. They might even say, and because of this, we're removing the state's component to the gas tax. Why? Because it'll save you money, really. Do you think that's how it works? So, three for three today. Three for three, so far. I didn't even look for them. Mileage tax, tracking your vehicle, done. China becoming the largest importer of oil, not happening, done. Has happened. Debt making a massive jump in a single day, bigger than any time in history, done. Where do we go from here? I've also been telling you that more and more 401k investors are being forced into U.S. Treasury bonds um, by simply backdoor action. Government has to be in on this. There's no reason for this to happen. There's There's no other reason for this to happen. And what I mean by that as it used to be, all 401ks had a cash value fund or a cash fund, which was basically like a money market fund or a savings account. It was just like if you wanted your money safe for a while, you wanted to make a half a percent interest on it, or a, you know, back in the days when there was an interest rate, a 1% return, and be 100% safe, you just put in a cash fund. So back in 2008, I was screaming at people, get out of the stock market. And they're like, but it's in my 401K. How do I get it out without penalties? I'm like, just put it in the cash fund. And a lot of people did, and a lot of people saved a lot of money when they did. And a lot of people came back and said, there is no cash fund. I'm like, you're crazy. They have to have one. And like people would say, no, there's not. And a few people didn't have one. A few people had one and didn't realize that's what it was. Um, but a few people didn't have one back then. And I was kind of shocked because I was under the impression that you were required to Um In fact, I remember in running companies having our financial planners from places running 401Ks for our employees come in and basically saying, yeah, we have to do this. And I I thought that meant regulatory-wise. I guess it meant there was their policy. Like their company said, you have to at least provide this. Like, because it was a smart move that people would have a safe haven for their money. And then by 2010, I started getting more and more people telling me there's no such thing as a cash option in 401Ks. Like, they'll tell me that. I've seen it. And, And by last year you know maybe one in 20 people that i talked to with a 401k had a cash option and and what does it get replaced with us government bonds this forces money to be loaned to the federal government by unsuspecting us workers you think you're going safe and what you're doing is loaning money to the government and to be fair it's fairly safe because if the <laughs> it doesn't if you had cash and it fail and, and and the bond fund fails. The cash is worthless anyway. So it's as safe as cash, but you're not choosing where your money goes. Now the government has, through coercion with private companies like Edward Jones, for instance, uh, and every other person, American Express, everybody, you know, Price, anybody administering these plans, has systematically moved the safe portion of 401k, private pension funds, into U.S. Treasury debt. And this one's not a news story. This one is just an email address, uh, an email to me from a person who I am going to change his name to Mick, and I'm going to just say his company's name is EE. All right? That's all I'm going to say. And I'm not going to use any names because I don't know if maybe he doesn't want this uh, tied back to him anyway. So here's what Mick says, and again, he's a person I'll call Mick. I work for EE, a very large U.S. company whose CEO has been outspoken against the current administration's policies. However, we recently received notice that a stable value fund in our 401K is going away and will be replaced with three options. A stable value fund is a cash fund, right? So they just said, well, we're going to get rid of that. Uh, no, the first option to replace it is a J.P. Morgan 100% U.S. Treasury fund, <laughs> What do you think's in the U.S. Treasury Fund? Number two, the Vanguard Short-Term Bond Fund. Three, some emerging market fund. Emerging markets. So money's being foiled into U.S. debt and emerging markets inside your 401k plan. You know what the largest emerging market in the world is? If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. You should know after today's show, right? (laughs) I thought, well, here's what Jack spoke of previously but at least I've got the Van, Vanguard short-term bond fund. So it's it's a bond fund, but it's a short-term bond fund, and I, at least I've got that, right? Okay, so I checked out the Vanguard fund. Guess what? It's primarily holdings are U.S. government bonds. Of course, the Emerging Market Fund is not an equivalent replacement, you think. So my options are government bonds or government bonds. Great. Also, interesting in uh, in the note were the reason given for the change, one of which was, Quote, more restrictive investment guidelines imposed by the government. Did you, did you, did you hear that? More restrictive investment guidelines imposed by the government. We, the government, have seen your pain and want to make sure your 401k is safe. So we're going to impose more restrictions so that your money's not put at risk by taking away the option for you to simply hold cash and replacing it with an option for you to loan us money because we're such nice guys. This is a creeping capital control. This is a capital control, a very velvet-gloved punch in the face. You don't even know you've been punched in the face. This is more like a velvet-grubbed prostate examination. You've been probed, and you don't even know you've been probed. By the skillful hand of the prober. Right in front of your face. Right in front of you this is happening. You don't even know about it. If you do, it's probably because I've told you, I've not heard one person in media anywhere talk about this. Why? Why? How freaking blind does a person who's paid to examine these things have to be to not see this Hostile action against Americans in the workplace. The next thing they're going to do, the next thing they're going to do is they're going to get into these 401ks one way or another. But this is the first way. This is this is see. This is what I tell you. You're playing checkers and they're playing chess. They did it with no resistance, no outcry, nobody calling a congressman, no pickets, nobody upset, nobody even knows. Why do they need? to get directly into your 401K if they can simply start shoving money that's in the 401Ks into their debt instruments, which is the means of the production of income or production of money. We're going to not raise the debt ceiling. (laughs) How is that possible if there's millions of Americans buying short-term U.S. Treasury bonds, which are in of themselves U.S. government debt? they don't even know that's what they're doing. Because I bet you if you had a stable value fund and they took it away, they just said, well, this is the next big thing, and put your money there for you to be nice. And every day a financial liar goes out and talks to people about their new 401k plan and talks about 10 to 20% of your income being put into a safe haven fund like one of these funds, which is funneling billions and billions of dollars into U.S. government debt. Right out of the hands of a person with no idea what's going on. And no one even said a word except me. God, I hate being right. And it's something like this. I hate being lonely. I really wish somebody somewhere would start telling people about this. Even if they lie and say, I didn't say it first. I don't care. I just want people to know. is what they've done. The next thing I've been telling you guys about is that cities and counties and states eventually would go bankrupt. And we've had many cities... And a couple of counties go bankrupt. One of the most noted has been Stocked in California. But I always try to precipice my predictions with, "and this will be what they'll do after this happens." That eventually some of these pension funds that go broke and all. But when cities go bankrupt, what I've always said, when a government goes bankrupt, they don't just go bankrupt. They don't they don't learn the you know a better way. They don't cut spending. They take whatever they have to take to maintain what they're doing. They seize assets. They raise taxes. They they all do different things in different times, but they never actually reduce the cause of the financial stress. They never actually say, hey, we're spending too much money on this stuff. Let's fix it. Instead, they find a way to kick the can and keep it going. Now, what's interesting is one of the states closest to going bankrupt is California itself because when your cities start to go bankrupt, it's only a matter of time before your state does. Think about it this way think of a state like a large holding corporation so let's say i had jack inc right and jack inc owns tom and bob and sam and frank and a bunch of other corporations inside jack inc but sam bob and tom let's say my three major metropolitan areas provide 60 70% of the revenue to jack inc if I lose a couple of those, even if my other little ones are doing kind of okay, I'm in bad shape, right? So if you're Californian, you start to lose major suburbs like Stockton, you start to lose pieces of like Los Angeles, right? San Francisco, San Diego, Sacramento, then you put major stress on the holding corporation or the total state. So... You'd hope that California is like looking at this going, huh, this sucks. Maybe we need to fix some things. Uh, If they're following the plan, they probably will, then maybe not so much. So the article's on Reason.com. It's called The Specter of Bankruptcy Haunts California. The most optimistic pension reformers had hoped that the desperate city of Stockton's 2012 bankruptcy would be a day of reckoning a point where city leaders would pare back the overly generous retirement benefits and embark on a road to fiscal responsibility. They saw hope for hard-pressed cities everywhere as bankruptcy judge Christopher Klein set up a possible showdown over pension payments when he rejected efforts by bond issuers to stop the bankruptcy motion. Klein said he was leaving everything on the table, meaning the city employees might eventually join the bond guys in taking a haircut. So... (laughs) Wall Street and uh Main Street will take the haircut together, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. But as often happens with government reform efforts, <laughs> another group of words that shouldn't go together, government reform effort, and just there isn't any such thing. The pessimist turned out to be right. Gee, no golly, right? Earlier this month, the Stockton City Council approved a plan that restructures debt and fully funds the California public employees' retirement system, thus leaving pension benefits for city employees untouched, unscathed. If there's any doubt who won out, one only need read the kapler statement. By continuing to fully fund the pension obligations, Stockton acknowledged the importance of a secure retirement to its current employees and retirees and the positive impact that pensions have on recruitment and retention of quality public servants. It's hard to believe that such less pensions are needed to lure quality public servants. That's almost a horrible word, isn't it is a phrase to quality public servants. Um, some of you guys in government really work your ass off, and I appreciate you, but we've all ran into people that should never be called a quality public servant. But whatever the case, when cities run out of money, everyone should share the pain. Instead, key stakeholders, city employees, union leaders, and Wall Street creditors declared a win-win, but the deal is not without its losses, Taxpayers. The so-called plan of adjustment. Government just makes up bullshit, right? The plan of adjustment. The act of security. I mean, are we this stupid? And sadly, yes, we are. The plan of adjustment is based on the passage of measure A. Measure A. (laughs) The plan of adjustment is based on measure A. I mean, because you can't call it what it is. The great tax increase of 2013 in Stockton, California, right? That's what the plan is. I'll read it. Uh, the November 5th sales tax increase measure that is being sold to residents as a means to assure that su- sufficient police officers are on the street. Guys, it's always, we got to keep the police officers on the street. This is the only way, this is the only way. If voters say yes, and they probably will, because anyone dumb enough to still live in Stockton has chosen this crap. All the people with brains left. There's only two people left, in, or three, three types of people left in Stockton right now: the complete government taker of the tit that just takes whatever they can get, doesn't care because they're all on welfare programs anyway. The big government liberal moron, and those trapped that can't escape because of some reason they can't leave. Anybody with brains that could leave is gone. All the producers are the hell out of there, right? So they're going to tax the very people to produce nothing with a sales tax. Listen to this, though, because we're just trying to make sure these people can eat and be fed. California already has ridiculous wages in the public sector compared to the rest of the United States. Stockton had paid its employees 25% above the California public sector average and still offers its police and firefighters a 3% at 50 plan that allows them to retire at age 50 with 90% of their final year's pay. The city offered lifetime medical benefits for people who worked there only a short time, causing one council to member, d- dub it the Lamborghini plan. That benefit is rolled back, but there is no there has been no reckoning. Okay, I'm not even going to read the rest of this because you don't have to. Number one. The city has no money left, so instead of fixing their problems, they declared bankruptcy, liquidated some assets, and raised taxes. And did nothing to fix the problem. Business as usual, going forward. The sales pitch to the public is, got to keep those police officers on the street. You can't be against supporting your police department. That's what, If you vote no on this, there will be no police officers, and, and the next day there will be people out knifing old ladies and orphan children. And the damn place is spending money it doesn't have and giving people 90% of their wage for the rest of their life when they retire at 50. Most people in a government job like that don't get a job until they're almost 30 anymore. So they work 20 years and then are paid 90% of their highest wage for the rest of their life. In a city already paying them 25% more, than most other state workers and city workers make. And their solution, when they run out of money, is to simply take more money. So this is the model. When cities and counties begin to crumble and states begin to crumble economically, and when the federal government begins to crumble economically, they will not fix it, they will take it. And eventually they will take it from the pension funds. Of the government worker, but they'll take it from the pension fund of the private worker first. Thugs work together for the good of fellow thugs. Think of it this way every time you hear a politician say in the future, we will provide more of this, or we will give you more of that, or we will create this. I want you to add the following to their sentence, whether they're Democrat, Republican, or otherwise. If they're promising to provide, to give, through the use of violence at the point of a gun, we'll create 25,000 new jobs for teachers with the threat of violence at the point of a gun. Because that's how they do it. That's how they do it. They do it soft-handed, like you won't have police officers if you say no to this. (laughs) we won't be able to recruit them they won't come here to make 25 percent more than they'll make elsewhere and get a retirement with 90 percent of their pay for the rest of their life at the age of 50 or through we're taking your money and if you don't pay we'll arrest you and put you in jail If you don't think that's true don't pay your taxes one year and see what happens First you'll get a letter, then you'll get threatened, then they'll garnish your wages, and if they can't get their money, they will send people out to arrest you, and those people will bring guns. So, we are going to create 200,000 new jobs in green energy through the threat of violence at the point of a gun. Republicans, threat of violence, point of a gun. Democrats, through threat of violence, point of a gun. The only thing government should be doing at this point is removing laws, removing restrictions, and reducing spending. We've gone far enough down the road. But again, I'm not asking you to be politically active at all anymore. I used to ask you to be a little bit. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Build your community. Build your groups. Build your hardcore groups of people that pledge each other's lives, fortunes, and sacred honors together as true groups. And build a community within your neighborhood because whether you want them or not, those are the people you're going to have when all this shit falls apart. And it's coming. So there you go. When governments crumble financially, they don't fix or restructure. They simply take more so they can try to continue based on the old paradigm. And folks, this should give you an insight into their mentality. They can't comprehend that their paradigm Is crumbling. They can't comprehend that it really doesn't work. They can't believe that it really doesn't work. There's no other explanation for why a group in a city government would behave this way other than they believe so much it has to work. They believe in government so much. They love government so much that they'll do the ridiculous to defend it because they've already said when they started doing things in government instead of undoing things in government – I am willing to use force and violence to do what I think is right. That's why anarchists continue to make more and more sense to me, even as a minarchist. But can you imagine? Can you imagine a system that promises to pay you ninety percent of your income for the rest of your life for existing? That system has to be run through the threat of violence and the force of a gun. It's the only way for it to work. And in the last story, I talked about capital controls. I'm going to go through this one a little bit fast just because, well, we're going long on the show at this point, and I've got an interview coming up. But I'm reading a letter that went out to many customers of Chase Bank, business customers, by the way. Remember the words capital controls when you hear this, and remember that it's not always government that implements them. Dear Business Customer, we appreciate your business and want to let you know of upcoming changes to Chase Business Select Checking and Chase Business Classic Checking. For your accounts listed above, starting November 17, 2013, you will no longer be able to send international wire transfers. You will still be able to send domestic wires and receive both domestic and international wires. We'll cancel any international wire transfers, including recurring ones you scheduled to be sent after this date. In other words, if you live in England and we have an agreement that I'll transfer you money in return for something I'm buying from your company and maybe importing, I can't do that anymore with a Chase Bank account. Now, if you want to send me money, that's fine. This is the very definition of a capital control. The bank is allowing money to come into the country but preventing it from going out of the country. Chase, by the way, is one of the largest providers of accounts that people do this with in the United States of America. So just like the 401Ks, the government doesn't necessarily have to pass a law that says you can't do it. All they have to do is get the institution that you're using to do it to change its policy. And who runs this country? The politicians or the banking families? So the government doesn't even really have to try if that's what the banking families want to do. All right? Okay. Listen to the next one. Bullet point number two. Your cash activity limit for these accounts will be $50,000 per statement cycle per account. Cash activity is the combined total cash deposits made at branches, night drops and ATMs, and cash withdrawals made at branches, including purchases of money orders and ATMs. So now they're saying you cannot do cash transactions of more than $50,000 a month in a Chase Bank account. Now listen, that sounds like a lot of money to you and me, and, and it is. It's a lot of money to me. But if I run a couple of restaurants that do a lot of business in cash and I have to take the cash and capitalize the cash by depositing it so I can write a check to run payroll, what has this done to me now? What has this done to me? Look this is this is what I said, okay? Because what Chase says is it's not a capital control. I'll put up a couple articles. One on Fox News that has the actual article, and one on Infowars.com, Alex Jones' website. And the the Fox News little blurb is where I found the actual letter. It's the only thing in mainstream media I can find. This is a major story. Nobody's touching it. It's like a booger-soaked handkerchief laying on the ground. I'm like, I see it, but I don't want to touch it. and, And Trace says this is not a capital control. Okay, you can no longer send money outside of the country. Okay, and you can no longer do uh, business in more than fifty thousand dollars a month in cash per account. Again, just a guy with five pizza joints, Joe's Pizza Inc. You know, in East PA. It actually exists. Joseph Garamia owns it. Great pizzas, right? Five five locations. I bet he does fifty thousand in cash. Right. So what? What can Joe now do to survive? He can leave Chase Bank. You think they're, they're the biggest? You think they're going to be the last to do this? So the other banks will start doing the same thing, right? This is this is the non-free market. Like like airlines, as soon as one starts charging for bags, they all charge for bags except Southwest, which you know. It's always a renegade and a rogue, but in banking, there's going to be a lot less renegades and rogues than in airlines, right? But what does Joe do? Just think. See, this is what I was talking about yesterday when I said, don't go to the media and ask them the questions. Ask your own questions and seek your own answer. So most of you have never owned a business in your life. You're now Joe. I've made you Joe. You are now running a business with more than $50,000 in cash coming into it. You cannot capitalize the cash to run your payroll and pay your expenses because the bank won't let you. So what do you do? If you haven't gotten there, you need some more mental stretching. You turn to your customers and say, we no longer take cash. We take credit cards and checks only. Or we take credit cards only. We only take credit cards. Now, how does this help Chase? Hmm, doesn't Chase charge a fee for every credit merchant processing fees, right? So that's one. But how does it help the government? All the money comes above board. Even though Joe depositing the money was putting it above board, now there's no leaks. So it's a war on cash. If you want to implement capital controls, and every nation in this state that we're in now in history has done so, there's two things you want to do. One, you want to you want to force all the money to the surface so that every time a transaction occurs, it can be seen, accounted for, and taxed. And so if somebody's getting lots of money, you can figure out who they are. So you want to force the spending to the surface. Cash is bad for that. It's terrible for that. I give you cash, you put it in your pocket, there's no record. I hate that. So force the transactions, the spending, the capital, to the surface so it can be seen. Number two. Prevent it from leaving your country. Because as soon as a country goes into economic decline, what do people do? They protect their assets by converting the currency that's crumbling into a more stable currency. For a century, it's been the United States dollar. When your money was crumbling in Europe, you bought dollars. When your money was crumbling in South America, you bought dollars. And when it happened, the governments in those things made it illegal to buy dollars. Kept the money in the country. This is an end around. Chase just said, can't leave the country. Can't do an electronic wire transfer. Watch the Forex trading get hit next. Watch it happen. Everything's being laid out for you. They want to take in our economy and force all of the capital to the surface so it can be counted and accounted for, unless you're a giant bank. And then your supercomputers can move all the money you want anywhere. But if you're a little guy, a little entrepreneur, a little business person, a little investor, they want to know where every penny is. And every time it moves, they want to charge something for it moving. And they don't want it to leave. They want it to stay right here while they leave and control it from abroad. Yeah. It's not patriots to come and collapse. In some ways, it's much, much worse. It will be a destroyed economy and an enslaved population falsely believing themselves to still be the freest nation on earth with the greatest opportunity under the sun. And they're doing it all right in front of you. They're doing it all right in front of you. They're not hiding it. They're not lying about it. They're not even passing laws to do it. They're doing it with policy and procedure and slow, steady implementation. Now, think about what I've laid out for you today. Really, without passing a law, the federal government and the state governments have increased the amount of money that they're taking from us. They're laying out programs to track you everywhere you go and tax your movement. They're forcing all of your capital to the surface for 100% accountability so every time the money moves or the human moves, we can charge a fee. That's what a mileage tax is, and that's what fees on finance and movement of electronic funds are. They're controlling the money so it only leaves the country when they say so. And they're forcing massive amounts of U.S. wealth into government debt instruments. And no one's telling you this but me. I'm not that smart. Some of you that are new to the show are going, holy, how does this guy know all this? He must have, I have no insider information on this. I don't spend hours researching it. I just look at it and do what I said to do yesterday. I ask my own questions and I find my own answers and I connect the friggin' dots. Why is no one telling you about this? They are. See, this is what I said yesterday. Think about that. All of them are telling you the truth from their own perception bias and their own agenda bias. And you have to go out and assemble the puzzle to determine for yourself the truth. But it starts with you not letting them tell you what your question are. You ask your own questions. I got one final one for you today. Most of you out there that are uh, interested in sustainable agriculture, permaculture, things like that, producing natural, healthy food, are probably familiar with the name of one. In, in my world, one of my heroes, the name is Joel Salatin. Those of you that don't know who Joel is, he is one of the most amazing people in article uh, in agriculture. Um. He is a guy that's done things that nobody believes can be done. He's a guy that built so much topsoil while grazing animals on his farm that years into the operation, they had to actually raise the fence posts. So while everyone else is exporting topsoil, he's building it so rapidly that the fence wasn't high enough anymore. And that's not an exaggeration. That's the God's honest truth. He's raising some of the healthiest food ever created and the government has done everything they can to make his life difficult over the years for doing so and if you want to know more you can read about Joel and his work he's got some great books out, he's an amazing amazing man, Um, he'll be speaking at the Voices of Permaculture conference which I'm going to have a discount for you guys uh, this week on and it will run all through next month, I'll, I'll get that out for you guys this week and I'll be happy to shake his hand again if I get the opportunity while I'm out there amazing man Well, over the time, he's won so many times in his battles that the government has actually started seeing him as maybe a guy they want to be associated with. So, for conferences and things like that, sometimes he's invited. I'm 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 bringing this story up here at the end because some of you will listen to what I say the government's doing today, and you'll 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 be unable it'll be impossible for you to argue with my logic and reasoning. And the only out you're going to have is it just has to be all coincidence and it's just falling apart. There's no way they could possibly think this way. There's no way that anybody that pledges to serve people and the public could be this twisted and maniacal and evil-minded. So Joel was recently asked to come to a conference. This is his article. Joel's a man of his word. I believe every word he said is true. And trust me, if this man were to say the government said or did something it didn't do, they would have a lawsuit on him pretty quickly. So you know you can bet on what you're about to hear. This won't be a Jack is right thing. This is even something when I read it, I went, holy crap, they think this way? So here it is. Why do we need more farmers? What is the driving force behind USDA policy? In an infuriating epiphany I have yet to metabolize, I found out Wednesday in a private policy generation meeting with the Virginia Democratic gubernatorial candidate, Terry McAuliffe, I did and still do consider it a distinct honor for his staff to invite me as one of 25 dignitaries in Virginia agriculture for a think tank uh, session in Richmond. It was a who's who of Virginia agriculture. Farm Bureau, VA, Agribusiness Council VA uh, Forestry Association, VA Poultry Federation, VA Cattlemen's Association, deans from Virginia Tech and Virginia State. You get the picture. It was the first meeting of this kind I ever attended uh, that I was offered no water. The only thing to drink were soft drinks. Lunch was served in styrofoam clamshells, lace laced potato chips, sandwiches, potato salad, chocolate chip cookies. It didn't look very safe to me, so I didn't partake. But I, I'd have a drink of water. In addition, in another circumstance, I might eat this stuff, but with these folks, I felt it important to make a point. Why do they all assume nobody wants water? Nobody cares about styrofoam. Everybody wants potato chips, and we all industrial uh, meat-like slabs on our bread. We all want industrial meat-like slabs on our bread. But I digress. The big surprise occurred in a few minutes into the meeting. U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vislack, walked in. The United States Secretary of Agriculture. I really want you to take that in for a second. This is a cabinet-level position. This is the top guy in agriculture for the United States of America. He was in, telly, he was in Terry McCraft's love-in mode. And here is what he told us for the first time in 2012. Rural America lost population in real numbers. Not as a percentage, but in real numbers. It's down to 16% of the total population. I'm sitting there thinking he's going to say that the number needs to go up so we have more people to love and steward the landscape, more people to care for earthworms, more people to grow food and fiber. Are you ready for this shoe to drop? The epiphany, what could the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture at the highest strategic planning sessions of our land be challenged by other leaders to change this figure to get more people in rural America to encourage farming and to help farmers get started? What could be the driving reason to have more farmers? Why does he go to bed at night trying to figure out how to increase farmers? How does the president and other cabinet members view his role as the nation's farming czar? What could be the most important contribution that increasing farmers could offer the nation? Better food? Better soil development? Better care for animals? Better care for plants? Are you ready Here's his answer. Although rural America has only 16% of the population, it gives 40% of the personnel to military. I'm going to read it again, because you almost can't believe it when you hear it. This is the Secretary of Agriculture. His answer, although rural America has only 16% of the population, it gives 40% of the personnel to the military. Say what? You mean when it's all said and done. At the end of the day, the bottom line, you know all the cliches, the whole reason for increasing farms is to provide cannon fodder for American imperial might. He said rural kids grow up with a sense of wanting to give something back. If we lose that value system, we lose our military might. So folks, it all boils down to American military muscle. It's not about farming and healing the land food and healing land, stewarding precious soil and resources. It's all about making sure we keep up a steady stream of youngsters going into the military. That puts an amazing twist on things. You see, I think we should have many more farmers and have spent a lifetime trying to encourage, empower, and educate young people to go into farming. It never occurred to me that this agenda was key to American military power. Least I be misread, I am not opposed to defending family. I am not opposed to fighting for a sacred cause. I am violently opposed to non-sacred fighting and meddling in foreign countries and building empires. The Romans already tried that and failed. I am uh, going to let you read the rest of this article if you want to. I'm not surprised, but I'm sickened. I'm not surprised they think this way. I'm sickened by the fact that they're now so emboldened they would say so at a a meeting like this. It's not like you don't know who Joel Salon is. It's not like you don't know he has incredible credibility. It's not like you don't know he's going to tell people when you say this in front of him. This means they don't give a shit. And Joel's right the united states department of agriculture sees the children and young young children in rural farming communities as the primary source of where they get their soldiers to fight their wars, and they're more concerned with restoring rural communities so that they have the bodies to do the warfare than they are to feed the people of the nation. Because the truth is, the way they're farming today, they don't need those people to do the farming. It's all mechanized. So if you don't think that they would outsource their risk to foreign shell corporations and control your nation from abroad, if you don't think they would force you to put your money into U.S. government debt with a velvet glove and not tell you, if you don't think when they're finally bankrupt they simply won't take what they need to continue, if you don't think they won't control your money, force it to the surface, and prevent you from spending it with people that you want to spend it with, And if you don't think they'll tax you every time you move, every time your money moves, and track both you and your money every time it moves in the near future, because they just wouldn't do that, the same people view farmers as a source of cannon fodder. Wake up, America. Wake up and work in your own backyard, in your own community, with your own groups. Prepare yourself to be on your own, because you're going to be. Prepare yourself to be on your own, but together, because you're going to need to be. And never stop believing in the ideal that is America, but please stop putting your faith in the men who have hijacked the ideals of America for the purpose of selling you lies, deceit, and bloodshed. Take care of yourself. Take care of your families. Take care of each other. Be prepared for massive, dynamic shifts Be prepared to adapt. Be prepared to provide yourself with food, energy, medical care, shelter. Be prepared to band together with your neighbors to do so for your community. Be prepared to defend yourself. And be prepared to one day be asked to stand the way the people that founded this nation did. Because sooner or later, whether you want to or not, just like I said the Oath Keepers, segment you're going to have two choices stand and defend what you believe in or kneel at the feet of those who will provide for you in return for your obedience and with that this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the survival podcast helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't our food these days you know it's on our TV